0: Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new, we're glad you're here. Hope that God meets you through his word. Uh, Right now, we're in a series in the life of Solomon called Cracks in the Foundation. And his story as a king was told to explain why Israel was carried off into exile. And it helps us to examine the cracks in the foundation of our own lives and deal with them before they spread. Today, we're looking at a famous passage in Solomon's life, the visit from the Queen of Sheba. It highlights the extent of Solomon's wisdom, but it also shows how he'd come to use that wisdom selfishly. For us, it gives us a picture of a person who's being showered with applause and some of the questions that we should ask ourselves when we're on the receiving end of people's recognition. Today, the danger is greater than ever. People can be vaulted into the spotlight with the right education, a successful idea, an Instagram worthy look, or even just a viral video. Few of us give much thought as to how to handle the applause when it comes. The 1950s classic All About Eve was one movie that dealt with the dark side of applause. It's about a seemingly innocent fan named Eve, who is enamored with her favorite actress, Margot Channing, played by Betty Davis. Eve applauds her way into Channing's inner circle, eventually destroying her career and taking over her life. In one scene, Eve explains what drives her ambition. And she says this, if there's nothing else, there's applause. I've listened backstage to people applaud. It's like waves of love coming over the footlights and wrapping you up. Imagine to know every night that different hundreds of people love you. They smile. Their eyes shine. You've pleased them. They want you. You belong. Just that alone is worth anything. Eve's addicted to people's approval and seems intoxicated when it comes. And it can have the same influence on us, whether we step over others to achieve it or not. Solomon didn't seem to seek the limelight, but when it came, it seemed to wreak havoc on his heart. The royal visit from the Queen of Sheba shows us the questions we can ask when people start to applaud. It gives us some gauges to evaluate our hearts when people's approval can blind us to what's really going on. To see them, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll read from 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, She came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold... The half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness." then she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of sheba gave to king solomon moreover the fleet of hiram which brought gold from ophir brought from ophir a very great amount of wood and precious stones and the king made of the Almagwood supports for the house of the lord and for the king's house also lyres and harps for the singers. No such Almagwood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked beside what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. This is the word of God. Now this passage gives us questions to ask when people start to applaud. And the first of those is this, does people's perception of you match the reality? Is there a disconnect between how you appear in public and who you really are in person? It's not to say that everyone should see everything about us, but does the perception match the reality? As the scene opens, the Queen of Sheba has arrived at Solomon's palace. Sheba is in modern day Yemen, some 2,500 kilometers from Jerusalem. Today, if you take the toll roads and you don't stop, you can drive it by car in about 30 hours. In Solomon's day, it would have taken two to three months each way. It was an incredible trip. And while trade between the two countries would have been on the agenda, usually that could be handled by royal emissaries. The fact that the queen went herself tells us this is personal. And verse one explains why. It says, she heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, and she came to test him with hard questions. Solomon's trending. He's an A-lister now. But notice that his fame is concerning the name of the Lord. He's become famous for his wisdom and his wealth, and the rumors are that it's all because of his God. If you're ever going to experience applause, There's nothing better than seeing that it's being directed more at God than it is at you. Solomon's following is from the Lord and it's for the Lord. Now, the Queen has a million questions for Solomon and verse three tells us that he answered every one of them. On top of that, he gave her a tour of his palace operations and showed her the sacrifices that he made at the temple. It's an opportunity to introduce this distant nation to the God who forgives sin. After seeing all of this, verse 5 just says, There was no more breath in her. (laughs) She's breathless, but it's for all the right reasons. Witnessing the blessing and the glory of God on display profoundly moves her. And so starting in verse 7, she says, your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. She imagines that it must be an incredible blessing to live under Solomon's leadership. She assumes that the people around him just can't get enough of the blessing of being near him. And no doubt that was true of some of them. But when you start to listen to the applause, it's easy to tune out the people you're hurting. And the reality is that most of the Israelites were feeling burdened and alienated by Solomon's ambition. He had mobilized the entire nation for more than two decades already to build up the capital city of Jerusalem in the south. But the northern tribes were dying. They were both overworked and neglected. And we know that because as soon as Solomon passed away, they pleaded with his son Rehoboam to reverse course and be merciful to them. In 1 Kings 12:4, they talk about him, uh, they talk to him about Solomon in this way. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Solomon had made the northern tribes feel like slaves in their own country. It was like he had made workhorses out of them. But Solomon was so busy hearing people like the Queen of Sheba tell him that his people must be so happy that he never noticed or cared about how much they were actually hurting. There was a complete disconnect between people's perception of him and the reality. And it's a question we need to ask whenever people start to applaud. Is a public me out of sync with a personal me? Is a persona divorced from the private life? Does people's perception of me match the reality? It's all an experience. The facade of a public persona only holds up for so long. As Jesus warned in Luke 12 too, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not, be, uh, will not be known. All of the details and secrets of your life and mine will one day be brought out of the darkness into the light. Ken Haggard learned that the hard way. He's an example of a man who worked hard to protect his public persona. As a prominent American pastor, president of the National Association of Evangelicals, he would speak weekly with President George Bush or his advisors. But as allegations of drug use, sexual harassment, and a relationship with a male prostitute came out, his persona was completely shattered. In the wake of the scandal, Gordon MacDonald said this, in time he'll be approached by people who will say in one way or another, I used to trust you, but what you've done has made me very angry. You've turned my son away from the gospel. I thought I knew you, but I guess I didn't. You don't have to be nationally recognized to lead a double life. Do you spend more time thinking about what people think of you than who you really are? Do you ignore your critics? Are you working on your inner life? Are you honest with God about your sin? Are you honest with yourself about your sin? When people start to applaud, it's easy to focus on people's perceptions and ignore the reality of who we really are. So when people start to applaud, we should ask whether people's perception of us matches the reality. We also need to ask whether we understand who has blessed us and why. It's too easy to believe our press and take credit for what God has done and use God's blessings for selfish means. When people start to applaud, ask yourself whether you understand who has blessed you and why. Now, in Solomon's case, it seems as if God deliberately asked him this question. We already saw in verse 1 that when the Queen of Sheba arrived, it was specifically Solomon's fame concerning the name of the Lord that drew her. She made it clear then that it was the blessing of God in Solomon's life that had drawn her. Then in verse 9, she says this to him, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. She knows that it's a sign of God's love that he's blessed Solomon and made him king. In fact, she goes on to say that God's made him king because the Lord loved Israel forever. And she's not the only non-Christian in Solomon's life with great theology. Back in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 7, Hiram said this, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given to David a wise son to be over this great, great people. Hiram is a non-Christian king, as was uh, uh, the queen of Sheba, a a foreign monarch. But when the non-Christians around Solomon are reminding him that it's God who has placed him on the throne, it's God who's blessed him, it's God who's responsible for all the good in his life, it's a sign that God is trying to get his attention. It's as if God is giving Solomon these reminders through the people he's most likely to listen to because when people start to applaud, you can start telling yourself you're the one who's responsible. You think it's because you're better than other people or more deserving or more hardworking. And when you start thinking like that, you're headed for a fall and you lose, sort of, lose sight of why God has blessed you. Again, God used the Queen of Sheba to remind Solomon of this. In verse nine, She said, because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Here was God using a foreign queen to remind Solomon why God had blessed him. was to carry out his will, to act justly and righteously. It sounds like the charge in Micah 6, 8, where the prophet asks, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? It sounds like God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2, where he said, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do you see the things in your life as blessings from God? Or more like rewards for your amazingness? God has blessed you so that you will be a blessing. He's blessed you so that you can lift up others. He's shown kindness to you to draw you to himself. But too often, our pride gets in the way and we interpret everything as a pat on the back. Our pride makes us take credit for what God's done. You see this when we face trials and struggles with our health, right? When we're at our lowest point, we're crying out to God, telling him how desperate we are for him to rescue us. And when he does, too often people are like, I didn't realize how strong I am. If you ever come through a trial and you find yourself with that as your biggest takeaway, that's a missed opportunity. The point is never how strong we are. It's always how merciful God is. He's trying to open our eyes to what he's doing in our lives. So when you start to hear the applause, ask whether people's perception of you matches the reality. Ask whether you understand who has blessed you and why. And finally, ask whether you give your fans what you won't give your family. Whether you give your best to those who know you publicly and save the leftovers for those who know you personally. Do you give your fans what you won't give your family? Now, the record of the visit of Queen Sheba, the Queen of Sheba, ends in verse 13 with this statement. And King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked beside what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. You can just imagine the Queen's delight as she is loaded up on the best that Israel had to offer. And as she arrived back home people would stare and talk about solomon's generosity and in one sense he was generous with her but he was generous to a woman who in verse 10 had just given given him 120 talents of gold that's more than four tons today that'd be worth more than 280 million dollars and that's not to mention the spices and the precious stones so Solomon was generous to the Queen of Sheba, but it was kind of like Bill Gates being generous to Warren Buffett. And the problem was that Solomon wasn't so generous to his own people. In fact, the 10 northern tribes felt so alienated by him that days after his death, they were protesting the fact that he kept taking from them without ever giving them anything. Hear the complaint they brought to Solomon's son in 1 Kings 12 16. The people answered the king, "What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Tear ten, so Israel." With that, the northern tribes separated from the two southern ones, and Israel became a divided country. But it all started with a king who gave his fans what he wouldn't give his family. Now, most of us won't ever have to decide what to do with a $280 million gift from a foreign dignitary. But we do face the temptation to give more of ourselves in public than we do in private. We can give our attention to our phones and distraction to our families. We can be generous with our time at work, but stingy with the the time we spend with those we live with. We can show patience and tact and kindness to the people who know us least and return to our families sour and unfiltered. Do you give your fans what you won't give your family? In 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul makes the shocking statement that if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Are you shortchanging your family? Is it easier to give yourself to the applause of the people who don't really know you than it is to the people who do? And how about your church family? Do you lift them up in prayer? Do you make time for them? Do you serve them or do they get your leftovers? As the Jewish exiles in Babylon first heard this account of Solomon's life, They knew that these cracks in the foundation of his life were the same as their own. They were more concerned about looking good on the outside than dealing with their hearts. They had lost sight of who had blessed them and why. They gave their fans what they wouldn't give their families. And they were living with the painful consequences of those sins. But God gave them hope in the promise of a coming king. They were told that in him they could find forgiveness. They were told that in him they would be given a new heart and a new spirit. They were told that he would establish a greater kingdom. And when he came, many put their trust in him and found life in his name. But others went on with their lives without any change. They didn't see Jesus for who he really is. They didn't turn to him. They didn't seek him. And so he pointed them back to this visit from the queen of Sheba and warned them of the judgment to come. In Matthew 12, 42, he said this The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Do you hear what he's saying? The Queen of Sheba made a 2,500-kilometer trip to meet Solomon, hear his wisdom, and see the splendor of his kingdom. But as in Jesus' day, so today, people hear the words of Jesus and refuse to come. They treat him like just another wise man, just another Solomon. But he's far more than that. He's the one who can change our hearts, not just clean up our persona. He's the one whose grace leads us to repentance. He's the one who shows us how to give up the applause of people and live for the approval of the only one who matters. Do you seek him? Have you put your trust in him? Do you rise early to hear his voice in the pages of scripture? Do you make time to talk to him in prayer? Do you live with a belief that he's the answer? Do you walk with a conviction that his is the path to life. Maybe that was true of you in the past, but somewhere along the line, you felt the pull of the applause. Having the popular people like you felt more urgent than having a savior lead and forgive you. Hear his voice this morning. Seek him the way the Queen of Sheba sought the one with fame for the wisdom and blessing of God. Only Jesus has the power to change the human heart. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we see in Solomon's life the same temptations and tendencies that are present in our own heart. We feel the pull of uh, people's approval. We we find it so much easier to uh, give ourselves to people that don't know us than to those who do. And it's so easy to ignore the hard work of confronting the sin of our own heart. Rather than just polishing up the outward persona. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that one greater than Solomon is here. We thank you that there is one who not only possesses all of the wisdom of God, but he has embodied it. He has lived it. And through his death and resurrection on our behalf, he gives us power to follow him. Heavenly Father, help us to be honest. Honest in confronting the sins of our own hearts. But also help us to be earnest in seeking the help and forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. We praise you for his goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I hope this has helped you to examine your life when people start to applaud. And I hope you'll follow the path of the Queen of Sheba in seeking Jesus for the blessing and wisdom of God. If it stirred up questions, or if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.